You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Eld. Culture change agent. On this show, if you young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And it's crazy, y'all. I, I, I forgot last episode, we just passed two years in the making. Good God. Like, let me cue some like clapping noise. All right, there you go, there you go. <laughs> but uh, yo, I'm pumped up. I'm excited, man, and I'm most excited because hey, first and foremost, let me let me get a couple shout outs, man. Shout out to Diana Riley, Yasmin Young, and Kenyatta Lee. They were the first three people to email me their 2018 goals. You will be receiving free tickets to the Minority Trouble as a conference. So thank you for taking action. We had a couple more people submit after, but I said I was going to get the first three free admission, man. So shout out to y'all. Be expecting a call or email from me shortly. I've already kind of spoke to Diane. I'm going to follow up with her, but thank you so much for taking action. Like, I understand that we get on these, listen to these podcasts and um, we listen, we get excited, we get motivated. But for those people that take action, I appreciate y'all. And thank you so much for so many of y'all that sending me messages like via LinkedIn, email. Like, I know one lady... And my, my memory jogs me, but she listened for like 18 hours with her, with her kids driving to like Atlanta from Nebraska. I don't know the story, but, uh, shout out to her. I can't wait to meet her at the conference. And yeah, no, I'm excited because I'm bringing back somebody who is near and dear to me, man, on this show. I'm kicking off a new series because in four months, March 9th and 10th, 2018, we are having the first ever minority trouble is a conference in Durham, North Carolina. Tickets available at mtbconf.com. And yo, I said, bump it. For the next four months, everybody that's going to be speaking at our conference, we're going to have them on the podcast. And, and we're going to try this out this Saturday. If it don't work, we might scrap it. But for this Saturday at 10 a.m., we'll be hosting a live Q&A first ever on the Minority Trailblazer uh podcast ever like a lot of times our audience interaction comes via like twitter or via email etc we said bump it man and a lot of people have questions people want to know more about the conference speaking writing books entrepreneurship just in general so i said let's open it up so this saturday at 10 a.m we will have our first ever q a and it's going to work like this everybody that we have on the show like the speakers for our conference and on this podcast they'll be joining us that's following saturday to on a live q a it's only gonna be like 30 45 minutes but it's gonna be jam-packed and actionable so you can find more information at greg backslash m 
T-Series. So I'm excited to bring him back on the show. I'm going to read a snippet of his bio. When I say a snippet, I'm talking about uh, like a couple sentences. And then we're going to jump right into it because he was on episode, I believe, like 38, 39. But so many episodes, like 40 episodes has transpired since then. And uh, yeah, so he is a fear expert slash like motivational speaker. He don't want to call that, but he's like... (laughs) (laughs) I just like professional. I'm not no motivation. <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs> I just had to say. All right, go ahead. Right, I'll let it go this time. <laughs> professional speaker, man, uh, consultant, coach, curriculum specialist. I mean, you say it, he can do it, or he's gonna be doing it the next five years, man. So uh, I call him the second coming of like uh, uh, Urban Tony Robbins under thirty. There's like a, a foot shorter and uh, <laughs> like three feet. Three feet, three, four feet, man. He's huge. And I mean, the last time, it's crazy how how things transpired because last time you heard him on the show on the podcast, he just released his book, Waking Up Chase, and he was getting his feet wet in the speaking industry, still booking gigs, collegiate gigs, and doing well. But now, a year later, signed a campus speech, which is what the top campus uh, college booking agency in the in the the U.S. I mean, freaking added on another book to this whole curriculum been speaking all across the country over the last like four or five months like every time i try and i'm his boy i'm trying to get in contact he in the airport he on stages he he having meet and greets with people like i just can't keep up with the man so and he shared a lot of gems last time but i keep getting all these messages in my inbox about speaking about writing books about all this other stuff so i said let me bring my boy d back on this show so we could talk about speaking his first year entrepreneurship his biggest fears going into 2018 as well as do a live goal setting session with me and him talking about our goals going into the next year etc and this is going to be a sneak peek into what he's going to be bringing to the minority trailblazer conference because we're i don't know i don't know what session we're going to come up with it but we're going to come up with something dynamic man so i don't know if i hope i didn't steal his thunder man but i'm excited to bring and and i'm i'm excited too because i remember last time i brought him on the podcast like i put out the episode i had like uh <laughs> i had like some mispronunciations in the junk i had some live edits because you know when you're your boy you just put it out so i said this time we're gonna make sure I do my editing, and he don't just get the lowest billing on the thing, man. So without further ado, I would like to introduce the fear expert himself, Daryl Bellamy, to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. What up, G? Thanks for the invite, man. I'm happy to talk with the audience today. Hey, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, man. I mean, it's crazy that only, has it? It's, I think it's only just been like a year and a half since we last got you live on the podcast, and things have just changed so, so much, haven't they? True, because a year and a half ago is when I quit my job. So... I guess the first time I talked with you, I was probably just going full time. So I was speaking, but I wasn't fully out there. So now I'm a year and a half into the game, working full time for myself, speaking, writing and doing all that stuff. So it's it's kind of like amazing what can happen over a year and a half. Yeah, amazing, man. And so for our audience that may be new to this podcast or they didn't hear your interview, man, let's jump right in and share us a, a snippet of kind of who you are, where you're from and how do you even get into this entrepreneurship space? So. Again, Daryl Bellamy out of Charlotte, North Carolina, um, around 2015, working corporate America. Loved what I did, enjoyed it, about an eight in overall satisfaction. But like the whole millennial mind, like we always need something new. We're always looking to be satisfied, looking to kind of like make it make that impact. So most of the books I was reading was saying a lot about anyone who is successful have either a mentor or a coach. So I couldn't find a mentor. I'm looking around like, yo, can I get a mentor? <laughs> couldn't find one. <laughs> so I literally Googled life coaches in Charlotte, North Carolina. This lady popped up. 
Um, she was the only one that had a real website, only one that had like testimonials. Hit her up. First time I hit her up, G, I was like, so how much do you cost? She was like $175 an hour. And I was like, yo, you serious? So I said, what I respected about her was that I said, well, if I buy a certain amount of hours, like if I buy a few hours up front, does that price change? And she was like, nope. <laughs> so I met with her, man. She introduced me to the National Speakers Association, which was um, a godsend as to how the business of speaking works. And then over that year and a half, I met with her once a month. Um, got some advice from her and started and started speaking, man. So right now I speak at colleges and universities, do a little bit of high school as well. Um, I collect fears of students. So my goal is to collect as many fears as possible. I ask them like to answer the question, I fear that. I take all those, I, I, I put it into software. Um, and my goal is just to help students be able to push through those fears and people in general, um, those fears that are stopping them from getting to the next level. So I think anyone who's listening right now, we all have things that stopping us from getting to that thing. What is that thing? And then helping you move past it so you can so you can thrive. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. So this podcast is going to be brought into four sections, right? And the first section is going to be just about the speaking space in general. We're not going to dig into your first year of, of speaking professionally, the ups and downs. We're going to get into that next. But for the first like 10 or so minutes, let's just talk about the speaking space in general. And we're going to, it's going to be a mix of beginner stuff, middle stuff, and I got to say high level stuff. And when I say high level, I'm not talking about people that's getting 10 grand a gig. Like D might be close, but let's, 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 let's measure the expectations, right? So we ain't making uh, less than a grand, but like, let's, but so this is for the person that is just starting or the person that's just in their career that is, that is, it has hit a little ceiling and we just going to just jump right in. So, First and foremost, man, how many gigs did you do before you even got your first gig? I mean, first paid gig. Before I got my first gig, I think I did around probably about three or four. Okay. Um, and the reason why I started asking for an amount in general, G, was because I had a coach. So the mm -hmm. coach was like, Daryl, it's, it's okay to do stuff for free, but at some point, you at least have to ask the question. And the question that I tell anyone, especially when you're starting out, the easiest question to ask when someone asks you to speak is, do you have a, do you have a budget for a speaker? Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of times they'll say, it just depends. So they'll be like, yes or no. But a lot of times I think when speakers get into the game early um, and they have a message to share, they leave a lot of money on the table because they don't ask that simple question, which is, do you have a budget for a speaker? So I would say probably about three or four talks. And my first check was like $350. Um, for, for a talk at my alma mater, uh, UNC Charlotte, shout out to the, to, to the Niners out there. Um, and then after that, my second gig, I think was 500. And I remember texting my coach was like, yo, is it really that easy to just ask? <laughs> Cause I was like, my, my fee was 500. He was like, okay, that's fine. Just send me a contract. And that was just a mind shift. Uh, when I realized that I could get paid to not only impact people, but to get paid to do something that I love. And let's take it. Let's take a step back because I, I want I want our listeners. So when did you feel that a you were called to like be a speaker? And when was it? When when was it in your head that you said, "Yo, like I can do this. Like I, I'm doing it, and I should be charging." Because I don't I don't want our say say a novice out there that really just I mean they they the they story game right because there's some things that you've already done in your life that allowed you and gave you the confidence and maybe the skill set to to begin so what would you say to that person that just beginning that maybe their skill set is not ready yet to command money like what was your mindset going into into it and when did you have the confidence to say yo I I not only I, I deserve to get paid for what I'm doing 
Yo, I think that's a good point. Sometimes I speak kind of high level and I'm, I'm glad you're making me dig down on this. So when did I know that this is something that I really wanted to do it was really 2010, which is like my sophomore year in college. So I was doing workshops on campus. So I was in something called the lead team. So probably every at least twice or three times a month, I was actually giving workshops on goal setting and emotional intelligence. Uh-huh. I was actually going to these campus organizations and talking all the time. And that's when students like a month later would come like, yo, Dara, I love that workshop. Or, or I still remember that story you told um, that really impacted me. So that was kind of like the seed that was planted. Mm-hmm. So I've been speaking and practicing since like 2010. Mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily make that. And I was doing Toastmasters and I was a charter member of the first, first Toastmasters club, which for all those out there, Toastmasters is a great way. Um, and just kind of like just get those speaking skills up and learn, learn kind of like the art of speaking, especially when you're starting out. So I was doing this for five years until I got that spark to decide mm. to be a coach and move on from there. And also, not only before that, I was doing acting and stuff in college, right? I mean, in high school. So I was doing plays. So I was always on stage and always out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long journey. So it wasn't just me waking up one day, y'all want to speak and let's start charging. It was a Ah, I got you. I just want to make it clarify because I don't want I don't want to mislead people. They're like, yo, they can barely put a story together or they just trying to articulate what their proposition is. And they say they're trying to start charging. And it's like, dang, bro, I'm not getting no gigs. I'm like, dang, that podcast, that boy, D, that boy, D yeah. did it. <laughs> <laughs> so so one of the stories that I tell G and, you know, because you've heard me speak before, is like the student body vice president story. So mm-hmm. I ran student body vice president, lost by 19 votes in the largest election. And that's one of the ways that I introduced the students and people about failure and how you learn from it. So when I share that story now, people don't realize that that was the first story I told when I was given when I was in college Mm -hmm. talking about goal setting. So that one story is now like, what, seven, eight, nine years in the making. Mm -hmm. So it's as good as it is because I've been practicing that for years and years. Mm, I love that. I love that. I also want to say, too, I want to ask this because. What so going from 2010 to 2016 when you really started like beginning to take it seriously, what what things changed about your speaking style or your just was it your confidence or there's certain small things that you adjusted in order to get to that level? Because I don't think overnight you just said boom. Like what were some small things that you did as far as from the actual speaking skill not like the business space because i want i want and i because i want to talk about this because i know there's people out there that's listening they don't necessarily want to become better speakers but they want to be become better communicators at their job um asking for raises or etc in their in their space because i mean I, i'm on linkedin and I, I see a lot of people that request just to be a better communicator so what kind of tools and tips have you learned along the way that um early on in the game helped you become like the speaker you are today uh let's talk about the first thing that comes to mind and we can dig down deeper into this if we need to is being able to easily accept that feedback when people are giving you feedback on your speaking so i think a lot of times we're giving advice for people or, or or we're speaking in different places so that might be at work and people might try to give you feedback and you don't want to accept it so i would say throughout my life i've always been one who when people were giving me that feedback i always try to internalize it in some way even though sometimes it does hurt mm-hmm. so i would go to a toastmasters meeting i remember so a sophomore year in college i'm thinking i'm good at speaking and i was all right you know i'm, I'm in there talking and then i get around people who are really good and they're like daryl yeah you're good but you can work on this and that and at that point i probably could have took that advice and was like no i'm still good and moved on but I literally took their advice to heart and kind of improved on those little things. Even the things like the whole ums and ahs, where in Toastmasters there's a bell that rings every time you say um or ah. 
or um those little things. So that's the first thing I thought about. And how do you yeah. how do you how have you cut out the ums and the ahs? So I, I still do them as you can tell. Um <laughs> as I just said, um but really the biggest advice that I give is uh just taking your time. So a lot of times when you're saying um, you're really just thinking about the next thing you want to say. So I just always just take a take a quick pause and kind of get your thoughts together. And then having people around you. So the last time I spoke, it was at NCSL. I actually had a student who every time I talked to them, they were like, um, ah, and I called it out to them. And I was like, all right. So during my during my talk, I want you to add up as many times as I say it. Right. And afterwards, they gave me my number. But during my talk, I was more cognizant of it. A lot of times it comes down to just overall awareness. A lot of times we're not aware of it. So therefore, we don't work on it. But when I was aware of it, I took the time during my talk to make sure that I'm improving on those small things. So even though I'm getting paid $1,000 to speak, I'm still working on those little nuances to be able to improve my overall communication. Mm, I love that. So what what, do I, what about people that say they have a problem with nervousness? Because I'm going to give a little bit about my feedback on it. I want to see your take because we have kind of different styles. And when I say about my thought when somebody says, well, I'm nervous in situations where I have to speak and not even to a large group, like speak up at a meeting, et cetera. I tell them two things. First, a lot, sometimes nerves become, be, it, nerves appear because we're just unprepared. <laughs> it's like flat out. Yes. Sometimes we're just unprepared. So when you're unprepared, <laughs> it's easy to be nervous. You're like, I'm not ready for this meeting. So that's one thing I say. When you go to places, be prepared as you can about, okay, who's going to be in the audience? What, what, what are their, what are their drawbacks? Like what value can you add, et cetera? Boom. But then second thing, I always try to tell, this is specifically people that are speaking publicly in front of people, is take how you talk to your friends and your regular conversations and scale that up to your audience. And I mean, of course, slightly dial up the energy. But I say I talk, I give my audience talks like I talk to my friends. I'm, Take away mm-hmm. some of the uh, take away some of the cat the caddy stuff, <laughs> like take away some of that. But for the most part, I mean, I try because I mean, when you're talking to your friends, you're natural, you're organic. Some some of you are funny. Like I know people in real life are hilarious, and I've seen them in certain meet certain meetings and just horrible. I'm like, bro, like you can't communicate at all. Like is that is that really what they you're code switch? They're probably code switching, right? Yeah. So I said, like, how like when you when you go into that meeting, like always think about how can I relate this message. In an authentic way with myself. So, what would you give some feedback to some people today? Hey, D, um, I'm not even trying to be a professional speaker, but I just want to be able to speak up in meetings. I want to be able to lead some discussions in classroom or just be able to ask questions in class or ask questions on my job. Like, what would you tell them? So, let me start by saying that hands down. So, what two weeks ago I did a, I was at a high school and I spoke to a group of thirty. That same group of thirty, right? I felt the same nervousness when I spoke to 2000, you know, a, a <laughs> month before that. So, so the nervousness is always going to be there. And I try to use that to fuel me instead of to hold me back. And that sounds so cliche. I use it to fuel you, but that nervousness is always there. I'm going to agree with you when you said a lot of times it comes down to if you're unprepared. Mm-hmm. So in the past, if I've just like popped up and was like, uh, I'm just going to come and speak, then that nervousness is there. When I find myself preparing and knowing exactly like my, my flow and what I'm going to say, Um, And that helps with the nervousness. I wouldn't agree with you on that. Um, The second thing is tell stories, right? Mm. So a lot of my talks, it's my personal stories that I'm giving. So at the end of the day, 
if I mess up or if I change, no one really knows because at the end of the day, it's my story that I'm telling. And we all know when we're around our friends, you're telling stories and it's just interesting. So a lot of times people try to get on stage and they try to be somebody who they're not or to match the audience. When I get on stage, I'm me, right? When you get on stage, you're you. You don't care if you got to say, yo, I don't care if I got to if I got to laugh or joke or say whatever I have to do, but I'm being me. Um, one thing that helps my nervousness is before I get on any stage, I repeat to myself or I say to myself, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when we are nervous, we're thinking about ourselves and not thinking about the message that we're going to give the audience. And even when it comes to your overall, um, let's just talk about people who are, who are in corporate America and working, that nervousness is always going to be there as well. Something that I share is the whole five second rule, which I feel like it, uh, it's a new book that came out. Well, it's a new rule that I now teach in my keynotes and when I'm talking to people in general is our brain talks ourselves out of something usually within five seconds. So usually when people don't want to speak up, I count down five, four, three, two, one. And the five second rule states that within five seconds, you have to make some sort of action forward or some movement forward. So use that action to be able to, 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 be able to push through that fear. Mm, I love that. I love that. And while you were talking, I was thinking about one thing that that it jumped out to me as well. It just the difference when, like you said, when you're telling a personal story, but also two two things. Realize, like, making sure you have a purpose. So when you're talking, <laughs> like the, the purpose. But then the second thing, and I was like, wow, it blew me away when mine changed. Is everybody doesn't receive information the same way. And a lot of times when you're speaking in front of an audience, you're looking for people that are like nodding their heads. And I mean, <laughs> you're looking for that one, yeah, yo, yo, that one head nod yeah, that you need it. You need it. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it's easier. People like, I, I hate when people, they don't look at the audience, like look at the audience, not because first it allows you in your mind to mentally say that it's really a, just a conversation. That's all you're having is a conversation. So you look at people in your eyes, it's kind of like I'm talking to you. So it's like, okay, cool. It's a little bit easier, but also too, that allows me the, the comfortability to kind of be myself because nobody, when you're talking to your people, you're not just looking at anything. You're looking at people in the eye, looking at faces, looking at emotions. So that allows that. But two, when I was younger in the game, when somebody, I was talking to students and a student was dozing off or when I was at like a, a bigger gig in college student and somebody wasn't listening, a lot of times I used to be like, yeah, man. But I realized, A, your message is not always going to please everybody. But then two, everybody doesn't receive information like sh- shaking their heads. Like, yep, yep, yep. Like there was a there was a time I gave a, a I gave a presentation and there was a kid that I I promise you he was sleeping. I promise you straight up he was he was dead sleep. And I'm like, yo, I yell when I talk sometimes. I'm like, how you gonna sleep through that? So I get a call the, the next week and they were like, so the dude and I tell my story about hustling sodas and whatnot. He ended up selling started selling sodas and etc. And modeled everything that I talked about. And wow. just because he didn't receive the message which I thought he should receive or the norm, then I thought I didn't do it necessarily a job. So like I said, I think you hit it on the head. Once I took my ego out of it and just saying, I prepared, I gave my message, I did the best that I could, everything changed. And now, I mean, I, I am still self-aware. When I see somebody yawning, I'm like, okay, I need to rev it up or something. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I don't care what you think. If I prepared for it and I did my thing, I mean, of course, I'm going to take feedback, but I left it all on the court. And let me add some of that, Greg, because I know we're all about like uh, actionable um, things that people can use. So I always get there early before I speak somewhere, mm-hmm. and I'm all and I always want to meet people on the front row in those or those front tables. So I'm always like, "Hey, what's up? You in the front row? I need that energy. I need those head nods." So actually, I'm friends with the person on the front row before I even start. So mm-hmm. if I don't got anybody in the audience, <laughs> I know I got that front row. Hey, yeah. 
So, oh, and also too, this is let's let's get a little before we move to the first year recap. I want to I want to hit on some. How do you prepare differently from a audience of say, like you said, two thousand people, and then a small group? Do you change your preparation? Like, what are some things you do beforehand that most people don't realize that you learned over the last year or so dealing with different audiences, different times of the day? Let's get into the nitty gritty of this. So for for a smaller audience, I feel like it's the same preparation because um, a lot of times it's still that same message that I'm trying to convey. Um, but for a smaller audience, you can you can have more conversations. You can have more people stand up and share their stories and go a little bit deeper. But with an audience of like 2000, there's no way you can have everyone share an individual <laughs> story because you'll be there for like three hours. Uh, when it comes to those smaller audiences, I'm able to walk around and actually touch people, right? And have those literally like those one-on-one eye contact. But if you're in an auditorium with 2000, it's really all you. So for me, I always get a little bit more nervous when I'm on a stage in front of those, when I'm in front of a, you know, a group that big, because I can't really get to know the audience as well as I usually can with a smaller audience, with, with a smaller group. But how's my preparation different? Um, I thought my preparation is the same depending on it's, it doesn't depend on the audience. I think it's the same, G. I got you. I got you. Did you say yours is different? Yeah, mine's a little different because I realized when I and this is just maybe specific to me, but in larger audiences, jokes carry a lot easier. Like mm-hmm. I, I guess it's a social thing where it's like I say stuff that I don't even think is halfway funny. <laughs> People are like dying laughing. I can't. And it's like, and I had to realize too how to really pause and accept applause, accept like feedback. Because if you don't like my first times I I spoke at a place with a thousand, like I was killing it. But when people are laughing, I was trying to talk over him. I didn't know when to wait. I didn't know when to step the clap. Like I was cutting off everything. And I said, gee, you got it. Like when larger audiences, you just got to be a little bit more patient with timing because when the wave starts, you can't just jump and say, okay, I'm gonna hit this point. Like you gotta let, let stuff die down or let stuff sit. And I realized I took the next level when I just started embracing that pause. Mm, Not sick. just like killing, doing a fire hose, like nah. But in, but like you said, in smaller audiences, I changed it around a little bit because I have to intentionally plan on different like, uh, raise your hand if you want to do this or getting different stories because I know you had a lot of experiences doing workshops, et cetera. Majority of my stuff was just me speaking. So I have to like plan, okay, what am I going what what questions am I going to ask people to start engaging? Like how can I create an environment that's engaging? But when I'm just have an audience where and plus two, let's talk about it depends on if I have an hour to fifteen mm-hmm. minutes. Like an hour is easy for me. Yeah. 15 minutes, you got to be precise. You may not have the no jokes got to be right. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything got to be. Everything got to hit. Before we go to the first year, I do want to ask this one thing because I, I, we talked about it uh, privately uh, last week. And talk about your 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 no hitter performance because I know with your with your fear talk, you adjust it frequently, but a lot of the core staples of it stay the same. And I know you talked about last uh, last week or so, you felt that you had a phenomenal just time delivering it. And I want you to talk to your audience, like how long it took to perfect it and what made it, and in your eyes, one of your, your best performances yet. So, like I said, it takes to what two, it took two and a half years um, to, to get it to where it is now, just 
failing, like we say, like you try things out, you're like, oh, that joke won't work, or <laughs> or, 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 or I, I can tell that story at some point. Um, <laughs> you might as well tell it, hey, you want so you can. Nah, I don't know. It's up to you, bro. I ain't gonna force you to tell that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell it real quick. Um, so I'm 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 speaking to a group of a group of students, and so usually when I tell my story about how I lost. Um, and I lost by 19 votes. I I, I tell a, I tell a joke about now I know how uh, Hillary Clinton felt when she lost. So I'm telling I'm I'm telling that story and I tell that joke, and it's a, I will say that it's a predominantly like white audience, right? And I tell that joke, and no one laughs. So I then decide to take it one step further, <laughs> and I say, fearless Lord Jesus, and I say, uh. And uh, and now I really and and I know how Donald Trump would have felt if it wasn't for Russia, and the whole audience just like went. First of all, they were silent for the first joke, so the second one they were like just looking at. Me. And I literally just like kept it moving, like went to the next point. But it was one of those times where you like I will do that joke anymore. But that's what the reps are about, and we talk about like getting out there to high schools when people are trying to start, and getting out there to these community organizations because. You don't know at the end of the day what's going to work until you get out there and try. And there's a lot of people who want to be speakers, but yet they're in their room talking to themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, that's, that's, that's not how you're going to learn and how you're going to grow. So I had a talk, uh, what, last week? And it was, it, wasn't, it was at a high school with, with like 30 students. I got there. Um, sometimes you get a vibe and you're like, this is going to be an amazing experience. And sometimes you get there and you're like, I don't think this is going to work today. And that was one of those audiences where I was like, this is not going to work. And literally it went amazing. Um, Cause I was able to talk to them one-on-one. They were sharing stories. I was able to engage some of my young black brothers who were not interested when I first started. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that as a speaker, you, you, you have to be used to and be able to be able to handle that in a moment. What, but was able to engage them by like, 25 minutes and they were fully engaged fully answering questions and felt like i was able to actually make a real impact mm-hmm. what you don't feel every time and we talked about this as well so people think you get up on those stages and you always leave like i killed it you know i, I this was one of my best talks ever but no sometimes you leave and you're like did i actually make an impact and a few weeks later you might get a letter from a student or email mm-hmm. that shows it made a difference but not every talk is one of those you leave on level 10 um type of experiences yeah used to as well shoot my first two years every talk i immediately i mean i would smile but i immediately go to my iphone and start typing in okay here's what you need to make here's here's the just me to make boom 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 like i was i'm still uber critical but two years ago every single time i hit the stage i got off like dang man i did i could have done better i left it i left a lot on the table and that's normal that's okay and and it doesn't change when you start making money doing it yeah 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 (laughs) And, and it's okay as long as you, as long as we're taking something from it mm-hmm. and you're learning. Like, I've seen people who get on stage and they probably always feel that way, but yet they're bringing in the checks. So, therefore, they're not really altering it. But the goal is to constantly get better and keep on improving. So, yeah, you gotta, you gotta take that feedback. And I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but I think I, I, I kind of know where it's going. But I do want you to speak about briefly because majority of your, your gigs are, does not, primarily for um a minority audience like I've, I've looked at a lot of your pictures and we just talk the schools you go to is not primarily uh 99 minority and i know there's a lot of people out there that that are speaking or at jobs that 
that is not all black people. And I know people don't want to get into the speaking industry, want to get paid doing it. But every time you get booked, it's not just going to be around black and brown Latino people. So was it a necessary adjustment or I don't think you really had to just like tell us about your experiences dealing with audiences that do not have the same background as you or just quite frankly, the skin, skin complexion. So I had a interesting upbringing. So we think about it. High school, I went to a high school in Raleigh, Southeast Raleigh. Uh, at that point, I think the school was like 80 percent black. So I had that going up in high school. Now I went to a PW in college. So going to a PWI, um, when I talk about those workshops that I did. Who are those workshops in front of? A predominantly white audience. So, and then after that, I worked for a training company and I had the same audience in front of me. So I would say I've learned to, actually, I don't even think I had to adjust. You're right. Um, because going back to what we said earlier, you just have to be you. And you call me what? Explosive vanilla? You say I'm a very vanilla. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I stick to the rules. Like I'm pretty... <laughs> I don't usually go out like you, like we're talking about the whole Trump joke. Like that's usually not me. I would be <laughs> real fearless that day. Um, but I don't think I had to shift that much. And honestly, when I've done, you know, I've, I've done some, pro- have, I, have I done predominantly? I'm trying to think if I ever, I mean, I've done an audience where there's a, you know, there's a lot of, I would say a, a lot of us in the audience, but I don't have to switch it up that much because at the end of the day, the only person I can be is me. Mm-hmm. And usually me works. <laughs> so did mm. I answer your question no I think that's perfect I think you hit on something perfect because at the end of the day black audience white audience etc all you can do is you because there's no one style of speaking you know the industry as well like there's there's ETs there's Del Bellamy's there's Greg Hills then there's Branwood Drew, there's Seth Godin's, there's Tony Robbins, there's Brandy Bouchard's, there's Inky Johnson's there's so many different styles but what you see is the people that usually go to the top and stay at the top are people that just themselves. You know, people got to stop copying off of people's styles as well, right? Mm. So I just see on like YouTube and, and, and Instagram, <laughs> a lot of these people popping up with these videos. And honestly, they sound just like E.T., right? Mm-hmm. The world doesn't need another E.T., to be honest, right? And, and, and you're not going to be that person. So try your best. And I know it's kind of hard, but try your best to figure out what is your style and go with that because there's people who will hire E.T. because they want to hear E.T. And there's people who will hire Greg E. Hill because they want to hear you. And there's people who connect with E.T. who won't connect with you. So just just be yourself and stop stop copying, man. Just <laughs> follow follow your path. Yeah. And I want to say one more thing on that on that note. I've been thinking about it all the time. And this is this is a free. This is something that I think we get a lot of information that coaches would pay a lot of money for. But. I will say this, and I think Daryl is a testament, and I know so many other people are testaments, but I know there's a lot of information out there about growing your brand on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, your social media followers, etc. And I'm not saying you should not. You should have a plan. You should be on those actively engaging those mediums. But if you believe that consistency in those mediums are gonna on a, are gonna take you to the highest level professionally, paid speaking, etc. It may, but A, nine times out of ten, you have to be an outlier. And then two, it may take you ten, five to ten years to get your first paid gig rather than networking, et cetera. So I know we don't have all time to talk about this, but D, I think you are an example of a guy that utilizes conferences, utilizing network situations, and just adds value that people he comes in contact with and has been able to 
growing industry because you know people in the that's really doing it and been killing it for a long time in the industry with no social media at all so what advice would you give out there to a guy or a young woman or a young man out there that has engaging personality but is putting all their time on developing a brand on social media i can't remember once where a client called me and said hey daryl i found you through instagram and i want you to come and speak at our conference not once now i have had clients who said hey daryl we have a referral hey daryl we saw you at this conference and we looked at your Instagram and it looked kind of cool. Or after we found you, we looked at your YouTube and kind of saw how you speak. So at this point, I don't, I think my last post on Instagram was maybe about a, m- a month or so ago. And it's not because I don't want to post it, just that that's not a revenue generating model is Instagram. So getting out there, those conferences um, where, I lost my train of thought real quick, but going to those events for people that you, going to those events where people are hiring for what you want to speak about. So I hit up the APCAs, the NACAs, the National Teachers Association, whatever those conferences where everybody that you want to speak in front of, all those people who are hiring are going to be there at once. But uh, when it comes to YouTube and social media, that can add a lot to it. And people with Drew might, you know, brand with you might say, yo, I get a lot of my engagements. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on who you are and what you're doing. But for me personally, I've never had a client call and say, hey, Daryl, we found you on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So that's not where I put my time most yeah. of the time. Nah, I got it. And there's one book I want to recommend before we go talk about, and this is so I guess for my non-speakers, y'all can come back in to the huddle real quick. We can talk about business and y'all this other stuff. But there's one book, <laughs> there's one book I want to recommend. It's called Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott Birkin. It is a very um descriptive, honest, direct book about a, a public speaker and about just the game and what it really is. And I would recommend that to anybody that's coming to the game to read it. And it shows just it's it's a very, very candid and very authentic book. Matter of fact, I need to write one for uh, myself about this whole this whole speaking thing, et cetera. But it's a phenomenal book. Once again, it's Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott Birkin. Before we switch into the next subject, which is a first year recap where I'm just going to not not pick your brain. I hate that. But I'm just going to take a deep dive and indeed do some soul searching about what is lessons learned in the first year. I want to take us to our sponsor, which is Culture Change United, which is a sponsor of the Minority Trailblazer Conference, which is coming March 9th and 10th, 2018 at the Durham Convention Center. Majority of the guests that are going to be there presenting have been on the podcast and most most of them are, are, are top 10 podcast downloads like freaking Moyo. Akome, uh, freaking Daryl Bellamy, uh, Brand with Drew, so many others are going to be in attendance, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be a life changing, soul changing, career changing, all that changing conference. So make sure you secure your tickets today at mtbconf.com. And, uh, yeah, for more information, you can contact us on Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera, all that good stuff. So D back into it, man. We are approaching a year and a half into the game, man. What word would you describe how this year and a half depending on yourself has been okay one word yeah just one word just start off i'm gonna say journey Mm, why journey um so this is how i look at my career in general so i wanted mentally we all wanted to go fast right we we we, we all want things to happen fast we want you know want to impact the money though whatever that is for you but over the past few years, I've been repeating to myself that this is a journey and it takes five, 10 years to eventually get to where you are. So I look at every year as another stepping stone in that journey. And I feel like this year um, I took another step. Mm. 
So what was the big step you took? And then how did you how did you go about to, like in your eyes? Because, I mean, we don't have the plan and we don't really know behind the scenes what transpires. But what do you think are some of the big instruments are, and, and, and two some of the habits that you uh, developed that allowed you to make that step this year? OK, so one of the biggest things that happened to me this year um, was being able to get picked up by an agency. So that was something that literally two years in a row I tried to apply got turned down. And then literally this year was the first time that I actually uh, got actually in the agency. So that was a huge step for me because that was always something that I kind of wanted mentally. Um, and then when I actually got the offer, I'm like, do I really want to do it? So it's, it's interesting how uh, how your mindset shifts. But for me, that was a big step, which gave me more opportunities nationally to be able to speak and to be able to hone in on that craft. Mm. You asked the second question as well, G. I forgot yeah, what you like, said. And what would you say, because I know the results are starting to come, but what habits would you say that have allowed you to take advantage of these opportunities? Because there's a lot of us, I ain't I've said it before on many podcasts, opportunities are all around us, all around us every single day. But very, very, very few of us are really prepared to not only take the opportunity, but dominate and kill the opportunity. So what habits do you say this year that are different from the past that have allowed you to kind of take that step? The biggest thing, and I think this goes to whether you want to be a speaker, whether you're in the professional field or whatever it is, and it sounds so cliche. I hate these things that, first of all, I think that there's, 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 there's tenets of life and success that don't change. Yeah. And sometimes we hear it over and over again, but that still doesn't take away that it's still an important tenant. Mm-hmm. And that tenant is like connecting with other people who are similar to you and are trying to do great things. And the second thing is finding mentors and stuff. So one thing that has helped me a lot is finding those coaches and those mentors. So I had one coach out for a year and a half. And then I found another speaker who was doing like 60 something gigs a year. Yo, said, I want to hire you for, for two to three months. That $600 I paid for those two months got me, what, 6500 Because they told me to do one thing that, that produced that income. Um, then after that, I hired someone else. And now I have a, I have a coach that helps me who's actually from my agency who kind of helps. But the one thing that has, has, has helped me over and over again is find those people who are dominating and, and reaching out and not only reaching out to get information, but reach out to offer value. A lot of times people reach out to pick your brain or to pick, that's easy to say no to, right? But if you're reaching out to be able to help that person or, or to be able to add to what they're doing, so figure out what skills. So I always try to figure out what skills I can help that person with and maybe offer that to be able to uh, get in with them. But I would say mentors, man, and connecting with like, like-minded individuals. So I have conversations you know, every week or throughout the day with people who really, really motivate me. So I have a, I have a friend who this week wound up getting a grant for her technology company. And getting that text message at like 10 o'clock on, let's say, Wednesday fueled me all week to be able to say what was possible um, for my business, just for people like me who are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's, that's self-explanatory, man. And uh, what do you think has been the, what, the top struggle your first year in this whole entrepreneurship game? Uh, actually getting stuff done, right? So, so staying focused. So when you're an entrepreneur and you have that, you have eight, you have actually 24 hours in a day, but let's say eight to five or even more than that, it's easy for, especially if you're at home and turn on the TV, right? And get distracted. Or my mom might call sometimes or friends might call during their break. It's easy to get distracted. So my biggest struggle this year was 
just overall staying to a fixed schedule and making sure that I was actually getting stuff done. Because this year, when I look back at it, yes, I did well, but I could have doubled production and probably could have did a lot better if I controlled my time during the day. So I know with you, G, you're like, yo, eight to five or eight to six are our are, are grind hour. So you're not really accepting text messages. You're not expecting calls. You need to call me. You need to call me after that. And I think come going into 2018, I need to put better structures into place to make sure that I'm protecting my time um, to be able to level up even mm. more. What were some of the things you would tell to somebody out there that is this and in, in the in their first couple years of entrepreneurship or that are in corporate right now, just in life and just trying to take the next level um, going into 2018, man, as far as attacking their fears. And and because a lot of us right now, let's be honest, even myself and you and you as well. There's so many others. There's certain so many things that we know we could be doing where we're putting off until a we're ready. Well, so till B, we get the financing or C, we get the team. And some of us like every year we may say we put off of the stuff. We may take one one. We might take one thing away from that and then grow that. But then some of us are putting this stuff off and off and off. And you look at it, it's been three years you've been putting off losing weight. You've been putting mm-hmm. off getting another job. You've been putting off um, really focusing it in on your business. So how what would you say to those people that, because it's natural as humans, just to put stuff off. But to get, to get into that lane of, yo, let me just do that now. Let me have some urgency about stuff. Let's start here. So taking small steps. Mm-hmm. So those small steps add up. So let's say when I first started speaking, I didn't start speaking necessarily at high schools and stuff, I started with YouTube videos every week. Mm-hmm. And those YouTube videos sometimes gave me the confidence to be able to actually get out there in front of the audience. So I started small and then over time I started charging a thousand and it started going up and I was able to actually move out of that corporate job. So um, you have to start somewhere. So my passion has really always been like helping students. So when I got out of college, I didn't take a job. I tried to start this business called College Concierge. <laughs> I need 100 parents to sign up, y'all. I got one parent to sign up, so it was an utter failure. But let's say that I was scared, I was nervous, and I decided, you know what, this business is something I want to start at some point. Three years later, when I should have been doing Bellamy Inspires, which is my company now, I could have started College Concierge, and it would have failed three years later. But yet, I started it early, right, and learned that that wasn't the path for me. One of my biggest fears for people listening or people in general is that they find out five years too late that the business that they had now, right, mm. is not a good idea. So if you started now, then you, you can realize and pivot that maybe college concierge wasn't a thing for me, but I can still help students and I'm doing that through speaking. So take those small steps so you can figure out if it works now so five or 10 years don't pass by. You try to start that company and you're like, this is not what I should have been doing. And you found out and, and you could have found found that out 10 years ago. So get it done now. The second thing is, is when you you think about leaving that position and if you think about entrepreneurship, a lot of times these risks that that it looks like we're taking, uh, they they look like big risks, but all of our risks are calculated. Like all my risks are smart. So I left a job making 70K, right? And decided that I was going to quit and and, and start speaking. But what people don't know is that I saved up 20 to $25,000 before I quit. So I had that $20,000. So it was a risk to quit, but I always knew that if that $25,000 ran out, there was always Uber. (laughs) There was always a job that I could go back to because people still couldn't take my degree away from me and they couldn't take those skills that I've learned. So it was a risk, but it wasn't really that big of a risk because I set myself up. 
Now, there were times during that first year, I was like, ooh, that, that, that amount was getting kind of low. <laughs> I had to go Uber, but money always came in to be able to support me, and now, and now I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing well. But risks, when people act like they're taking these huge risks, they are sometimes, but a lot of times they're setting them up from, by, they're setting themselves up for success by taking those steps to shield their risks. And last but not least, um, dots always connect. So a lot of times we don't know why we're going through different things and we don't know why we're at that corporate job. But looking back, you'll always know. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking um, backwards. So don't be happy where you are necessarily, but realize that you're there for a purpose because a lot of the information that I that I learned in my corporate job, I, w- I was in consulting and banking or whatever. But project management, those two and a half years that I was kind of happy but really wasn't satisfied, I use those skills every single day in my business uh, to be able to move forward. Mm, I, I, I can't add anything to that, man. So I, I appreciate that. So let's let's transition into 2018, man. Our, our last one of our getting close to the end. 2018. What would you say is your biggest fear going into 2018, and how do you plan on tackling it? And we'll both answer this. You want me to go first? I can't. Yeah, go first. Go first, and I'll think about it. All right. So I guess my biggest fear in 2018 is, I guess my biggest fear is this conference. And not more so the actual, just getting, just doing it the right way. Like doing it the right way where I know we'll get it done. And this, it better get done. I'm already paid for the venue and all this other stuff. But just not doing it the haphazard way of okay, we just we just making just 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 by the skin of our teeth getting it done. I understand. I mean that's the nature of business. Sometimes I've been doing that last couple of years with the whole tour. We were able to do nine states and nine cities with no money start up. I'm outside of a, lo- a couple loans, but I really want to do this the right way because I, I really feel it has potential to really build something great. But I mean, it's December now and we're in the trenches and I ain't gonna lie. There's a lot of fear and anxiety about really getting fully behind it because you just don't know where like the, the dots will always connect. But there's always fear and trepidation. OK, gee, what if you put it out there and it's like, oh, first couple of weeks, nobody buys nothing. So are you going to like what if it's February and you only get like 50 tickets sold? It's like what happens after that? And then. The sponsorship, okay, when you're reaching out to sponsor, how should you reach out to them? How do you really convey that you really can guarantee this amount? Um, are people that listen, you have, oh, a couple hundred thousand downloads, are they really going to show up? And and how can you reach this audience and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all these fears. And I'll be honest, I mean, sometimes you do get, I, I do get a little bit overwhelmed, like, yo, specifically now where it's a one-person team and I'm, I'm adding on people. So I have, I just added over the last week or so, like four or five people to help out and I'm going to bring on a consultant, but it is a, a big fear because going into it, I'm just now getting used to, and I guess the bigger overarching fear is the the fear of increased responsibility Mm. because over the last two months, I mean, we've, we've gotten some gigs and got some contracts that really have changed, changed my business for the better. But it also creates a huge risk going into 2018. Okay, now that we do have uh, increases, how, how am I going to be able to be able to manage my money effectively? Am I going to be able to really build a team and trust the team to get stuff done? Um, do I should I really put my resources in hiring a an event manager that may cost me a lot up front that I really don't really want to give? 
But is that going to be the best fit to make sure everything gets done and really having to make these decisions? Because now we, when you get to the big leagues, you got to start making big league decisions. And I think that is something that is, is weighing on my mind. And I guess to, to answer the question completely, how do I plan on doing it? I plan on talking myself into it. And I, I was listening to a, a sermon by Stephen Furtick and it said, and I think you mentioned it earlier in our podcast, our mind quickly dismisses stuff quickly tell us what we can't do quickly tells us no you can't get a team or no you can't get any sponsorships or nobody nobody is going to sign up or blah, blah blah but a lot of times we don't talk ourselves into certain things and lean into it instead of leaning away because like at the end of the day what if i do go all in behind them it does feel okay i learned something hey i don't need to do no conference no more but it's gonna stay in the podcast <laughs> like hey yeah i didn't yeah. i didn't really lose anything like i outside the money i invested hey it's okay and I think sometimes I have to tell myself it is okay, but lean all the way in. Don't don't half lean. Don't just put a couple posts out there and see what's resonating. No, F it. You gonna do the series? Do the series. You gonna go all in with this? Go all in with the promo. Do give everything you got. So if it does not go to where you where you goes playing, you cannot hide behind something. And say, oh, well, I didn't do this, or somebody so and so didn't support me. No, 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 no. Just just rev it all in. And I think so That's many powerful. of us right now. We're not going all in because we want to out. We want to, mm. we want to, we want to out like, oh, Daryl ain't support me or, uh, this company didn't give me no sponsorship or my listeners didn't come through instead of saying, yo, let me, let me see what I, I how I can go in. Cause I mean, so, so, so much, so many, so many times in my life, I didn't go all out. I was, I was one of them guys that was too cool. The reason why I didn't get the girls I really wanted in high school or even sometimes a grown adult, I was scared of rejection. So I wasn't even going to ask. So then I could be like, well, shoot, man, she ain't see what, whatever. No, 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 no. Won't nobody hating on you, bro. You just didn't even <laughs> ask the question, bro. You too cool. So you don't I, get what you don't ask for. Yep. So I'm yeah. just, so I'm working right now. Every day I tell myself, and I ain't perfect on it, but take away the ego. Take away the ego. Cause that's what, that's what's really stopping you. Cause you don't want to put something out there and people like are not really that excited. Nobody's like, yo, I'm all in. You don't want to put a post out there and then six people come to this webinar. You don't want to put a post out there and then maybe, uh, one person buy a sweatshirt when you know you should be promoting your products, but you ain't promoting them because you just said, I don't know what the feeling's going to be out there. Take the ego out of it and put it out. So you said, yo, you said so many great things. Um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, first thing, uh, when it comes to fear, I think a lot of times we have to manage our relationship with it. Um, so you're doing some big things, right? So that's, that's scary. And anytime I'm doing something that's pushing me outside of that, outside of my comfort zone, I try not to call it fear. I try to call it excitement mm. because that's really what life is about, right? It's about it's it's about constantly pushing ourselves to do more. And honestly, if you're not afraid to do it, then you're not really living, right? So mm. so so if everything you do is not pushing you out your comfort zone and you're not scared about anything. You're really not pushing yourself, and you're really not living an exciting life. You might as well just not be living. Okay, I didn't mean to say that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to – because – no, don't take it out. Leave it. Um, <laughs> you might as well be pushing yourself. So so, so I'm, I'm always looking for ways to push myself to, I guess, make myself feel that way. And I call it excitement. So I'm like, that, that that's really exciting to me. Now, when you ask that question to me, like what my fear is, I kind of I, – I, I pulled up my goals for um, like next year – and I kind of had an epiphany because I realized that nothing is really scaring me about next year. And that's a problem, right? Because 
all of my goals, like I have some big goals. Like I might, I, I probably will apply for a PhD program next year, like to Ivy League, and that's huge. And there's a lot of things that I'm doing, but I'm looking at this list, and there's nothing that I'm really nervous about. And I said to myself when you were speaking, like, I need to challenge myself more, right? Like, I need to be – something on this list needs to be like, Daryl, like, if you don't do this, like, it's over or mm-hmm. or, it, or or it scares the hell out of you. So it's – it you you really put something on, into my mind. So I know it's something that I always want. I always want to do a student conference. I think that might scare me. But if I look at this list right now, that's like at the bottom of the list, meaning <laughs> it's not already. Um, so, yo, you inspired me today is to make sure that, yes, I have some – great big things on this that I want to accomplish this year, but I need to make sure that I have something on that list that scares the heck out of me um, to make sure that I'm constantly pushing myself as well. Yeah, man. I think I never thought about it like that. Um, but now you just saying that that's the point of just having this, this open dialogue. And I'm even side note, I challenge myself with our friends for some, with most of my friends, specifically my close friends that have more open dialogue about fear, about different challenges, et cetera, because I, I realize, and I, I didn't really have this, I haven't had this problem in the last couple of years, but I, I see it so, so much, so much in society where a lot of times our, our closest friends, we don't, we're not, we're not having dedicated dialogue about life. We have dedicated dialogue, maybe about relationships, about just shooting the issue, about what's going on, homecoming, et cetera, but about fears, about Vulnerability, um, yeah, being vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, and it's like so. Yeah. So, and, and and that's why so many of us are 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 are, are, are kind of broken, are kind of fearing. That's why it's so powerful when you do you do collect fears when you read these fears and 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 please t- can you tell us, share with us uh, some of the fears that you you've collected over years that really left a, a big impact on you that you remember to this day that kind of all like if you sometimes you may look back and like yo I'm not encouraged to get up today I'm not I don't really want to do this and you look back and all these fears collected is there any that stand out the the, the one thing that stands out in general is that I get home and I, and I read so at this point I've played around 5500 or so um and the only time I really get like emotional is when I read notes I might be on the plane coming home or by my bed just reading them and one thing that stands out to me is that I'm reading the same things over and over and over again. So when I'm sitting there reading it, I'm like, I wish I could go back. And now I tell students at the end of the day that at the end of the day, you're not alone. Everyone is feeling the exact same thing. It's just those people who are successful, those people who move forward and are able to do big things, realize that they're not alone and they actually do something about it. So the number one fear category, right? We mm-hmm. put in the software, we know that is, is the fear of failure. And I think we've hit that a few times when you talk about the conference, like what if it fails? And it doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk about to create the first electric car with the battery or, or Bezos back in the day when he did Amazon or even some people in your community who are doing amazing things. I think we need to look at other people besides these huge um, figures in American society. But they all feel that and they realize that other people feel it, but yet they do something about it. And that's what I challenge myself about all the time. I mean, even if I post a video of me speaking, I still feel nervous about that. Like, yo, what will people think? Right. Or is this good enough? Or this two weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C. speaking to a to a group of students and some of my colleagues who have never heard me speak before came in a room and I get nervous then. Like, yo, because the worst thing I want is people to see me online. Yo, 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 Daryl is good. Daryl kills it. And they get in the room and be like, yo, this dude sucks. He's trash. So I still feel that. But I realize that yo, at the end of the day. Everyone is feeling the fear of failure and not making and, and, and letting it hold them back in certain areas of their life. The second thing is judgment and rejection. You know, we care too much what other people think, right? Like, and, it, and it's hard because sometimes it's your family and it's your friends and people around you. 
But getting past that judgment and that rejection is like is 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 one of those things that helps a lot. A quote, I know we got, I don't know how we're doing on time, but a quote that I remember um, or a story was that on the day that you're buried, right, like like funeral, they said that if it rains on that day, the amount of people who go to your burial site from your funeral decreases by one third if it rained that day. And I wonder, like, how many of us on a daily basis are listening to those opinions and not doing things based on those people who wouldn't even come to your burial site because it rained that day? Oh, my God. Woo! And a lot of times we're listening to those opinions of people who don't really rock with us, aren't really for us. There's a lot of people who might be around you, and I don't think there's not many people around me, but there might be, right? People who who might act like they're totally for you and and they're giving you ideas. But maybe they're not really for you. So I make sure that I keep my circle small and, and the advice from my, from my siblings and my close friends I listen to. Uh, but all that other advice, you know, I let it go. And I don't necessarily care. Like I care what my close friends and family think um, and everyone else. Yo, kick rocks. Man, that's powerful. It's like I really at home. There's a lot of stuff that we that we do in general for people that shoot are not even gonna be at our weddings and a dang sure not gonna be at our no dang funeral like people that well, they might not even like the post that the rpd post yeah. they might like yeah. like it's just they glossing right over it yeah wow. or, or 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 like greg you have people in your life who who will want to give advice or you might not want to move forward because of their judgment right but yet you release a book and they don't buy it right people who, who might be close to you who who might not make those moves so for me i look at actions more than anything who are, who are those people who, who are supporting you throughout that journey? And I listen to those opinions more than the people on Instagram who might scroll by and not like, even though they did like it, right? <laughs> yeah. and, so it's powerful. Um, powerful. And I think I think it's and, and as we as we begin to close, I, I got one more um one more thing I want to touch on, then we wrap it up. I think it's really critical out there that and I had to challenge, and I'm lie, I challenged myself this week to do it. I think D has been doing a phenomenal job of it as well, but for those of you out there, and I don't care if you have a business, I don't care if it's just life or general that are looking for support, right? First, give support. And it does not mean that it has to be a hundred dollars or something, whatever. Like it meant the most to me that I had like a donation link on one of my live events and my boy Nate donated like three dollars to the event and it meant a lot. Not because it was $3, but it was just like he wanted for some way to help out. It wasn't say, I won't go get my whole ticket, but it's like, yo, I'm going to find some way. And then it had to be money. But that, that $3 sign, that's my boy for life. Like I, like I, if he, if he called me right now and said, gee, I need a hundred, I had a hundred banker. I give it to him right now because yeah. that's real. Like it, I didn't ask him for it. And we weren't even that close, but now I do anything for it. So I just, and I, the reason why I say that is because. I was thinking about myself. Some days I do get in, get in, and I don't get into it as, as much as I used to, but I'd be like, man, so I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the support, whatever. And then I have to take evaluation. Like, what support am I giving outside of quotes, outside of just being myself? Like, uh, that's cool, but what support am I giving? Have I just randomly gave my time to somebody? Have I van- randomly volunteered? And a lot of us right now, listen, if you took an honest inventory, and this is going to be real for, uh, for our listeners, the people that saying, oh, I'm not getting the support of my business. I'm not getting my support in this. Ask yourself how much support you have given. I've, I, have, I have I have multiple stories. Yo, 
I talked to one of the top speakers in the game before. Mm-hmm. He talked for me on the phone. He answered the phone on vacation, right? Somebody gave me his number. Uh, one of my coaches gave me his number to call him. He talked to me for 11 minutes, G. I got off the phone with him. I sent him a PayPal amount for $11 and said, you know, that's what I can give you right now. I appreciate the 11 minutes that you gave me, a dollar for every minute, right? Mm-hmm. I had another mentor who, who, who gave me some of his time. I went and brought his book and left him um, an Amazon review. My mentor right now, I went over his house. He gave me so much game. I was telling him about this book that I love. He said, yo, I need to get that. I went home. I shipped the book to his house. So it's those little things that we have to be able to show appreciation and show gratitude. And like you said, it's $11. It's a $12 book. Like it's buying his book and doing something. But it's those things that add up where when you call those people, they know that you value their time and value their information. So they're going to be more willing to give you that time. Mm, yep 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 and i guess our last thing as we close man and i think we already talked about it so we're not going to spend too long on this is if you could just share with our audience man just a couple of your goals and i know don't you don't got to give us all the tea but just a little bit of your goals heading into 2018 so my 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 biggest thing that i'm trying to do and it might switch after after we had our conversation about me me pushing myself even more um is processes processes and systems so these companies that are doing well, these businesses that are doing well, they have systems into play where when you come to their website and you put in that email address, certain things happen. When you get done speaking and you get off stage and I say, hey, text this number to this, there's certain things that happen behind the scenes. Or when someone comes to my website and they say, Daryl, we want you to speak, there should be a system that every client goes through. That's why you like Chick-fil-A so much because when you go to Chick-fil-A, you know what your sandwich is going to taste like, you know what's going to happen, you know they're going to say my pleasure afterwards. Mm-hmm. And you get used to those things. So if I'm trying to build a multi-million dollar organization, which I am, I have to start putting those systems into place because at the end of the day, in two or three years, it's not just going to be Daryl Bellamy who can take a call, right, and, and, and do stuff last minute. It's going to be a system that people have to go through. So that's my big goal. Second thing is I might go back and get the PhD um, to become that expert in the education field for students to give me that credibility. Um, and that third thing would be, so we got systems, we got the PhD and I think I'll probably do like a student conference next year, man. So I want to, I'm all about, I say this a lot, like transformation. So that's why I don't, I don't like the whole motivational speaker thing sometimes because I, I look at it like you motivate and then you go and then people forget what you did and people aren't really changed. Um, so I want to do some transformational work where I work with students or just people in general for more like a day and a half, kind of like you're doing at your at your summit where I can work with students and they actually leave change and actually leave uh, uh, wanting to make an impact on their community and changing their lives. Mm. Well, there you have it, man. There you have it. There you have it. I guess uh, our, la- our last, last thing is, uh, oh, before we go, um, I probably asked you this offline anyways. I think I asked, but just for the audience clarification, uh, why, why do you want to get a Ph.D.? And I mean, I know not why, but what do you think that's going to look like as far as what your speaking career and et cetera? Have you thought about that? So for me, a lot of it is um, first thing that comes to mind is credibility. Right. So we have a lot of speakers who speak on leadership and speak on those topics, but there's no hard research behind what they're saying. Right. It's just them pretty much just talking. So stories and stuff like that. So when I think about long term, um, and I look at the higher ed industry, which is the whole college university industry, budgets are only going down, right? So, so certain schools just don't have the budget for speakers anymore. But people always pay and people always want to hear from experts. Experts will never go out of style. So if I can get that PhD possibly, 
Um, if I do it, I will get it. But if, if I get that PhD, have that PhD behind my, my, behind my name, have actual research. For, so right now, I'm collecting the fears. I put them in spreadsheets. I have that data. But if I can get actual empirical research behind it, then that's going to set me up, especially if I go to an Ivy League school. That's definitely going to set me up for more success in the future. Mm. Say no more. Say no more, man. So well, last thing, last thing, where can people find you at, man? Reach you at online, all that good stuff and uh, et cetera. So best place is probably Instagram. So at Bellamy, B-E-L-O-A-M-Y, Inspires, um, and my site, BellamyInspires.com. Um, if you want to shoot me an email, if you have any questions, I would love to be able to uh, possibly assist in any way that I can. So Daryl at BellamyInspires.com. So it's pretty consistent. Bellamy Inspires on everything and Daryl at BellamyInspires.com. Um, let me know if anything that I said connect with, connected with you. Um, and let's go from there and see how we can continue making this, making this world better, bro. Say less, say less, say less. And, and remember, audience, remember, audience, this Saturday, this Saturday, I'm doing a free 45-minute Q&A, talk about the conference, talk about speaking, all the stuff that we didn't talk about today with D, man. This Saturday at 10 a.m., 10 to 1045. You can find more information at gregehill.com backslash M series and you'll see it on my LinkedIn on my Instagram and all that good stuff man so my only trouble is a nation this has been a different segment different interview but we still we still we still we still in doing this one thing and what is that one thing oh we subscribing downloading and reviewing the podcast and two changing the freaking culture good night